Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. My name is Michael McGraw. I'm here with Michael Shutt, and we are ready to talk about the Final Four. We have our Final Four teams, San Diego State, FAU, UConn, and Miami, just like we all expected. Chalk. You know, last year's Final Four was so blue-bloody. Kansas, Duke, Carolina, Villanova. UConn feels like the only, like, they're blue-blood adjacent. I kind of am willing to just, at this point, especially if they win a championship this year, they're definitely like a 21st century blue-blood. Why do they not have the same blue-blood? Is it just because they're newer to the game since Jim Calhoun was there? I think so. I mean, I think that they they just can't trace it back as far. Okay. That's got to be it. But, But I think, again, you think about the last 25 years... 25 to 30 years, they are up there with the rest of them. They're more, right, they, they, they're more they, they, blue they blood than a Syracuse or I'm thinking like similar type programs. Even like Indiana in recent years, they have the longer ago history, but. Right. They've been to a Final Four. Like it's been nine years since they went to a Final Four. For most programs, that's pretty good. Yeah. If you go to a Final Four every nine years, you would take that. Yeah. Anyway. So, anyway, I, I think they're the closest to being a blue blood here. Miami certainly isn't. San Diego State isn't, and Florida Atlantic. I mean, I, you've got people around the country who are very casual fans who are, like, unsure that that's a real school. This has been nothing short of of kind of what we have anticipated this whole time, right? We've said it all season, that this was going to be chaos. This was going to be fun. This was going to probably yield some unexpected results. The way I looked at it is, I guess this feels very obvious, but if I thought this tournament was either going to be super chalky where a team like Alabama would just run all the way through it, or it would be this where you have, you know, a nine seed in there and, and just kind of pure unadulterated chaos. But uh, it's been a blast so far. It really has been fun, and there were games in our last podcast was before the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games, and since then, there have been a ton of really amazing games, so thinking back to San Diego State-Alabama, for example, that was a game that was really tightly contested the first half. Alabama comes out of halftime, starts playing well, and it feels like one of those games that the upper seed is finally going to just pull away, do what they should have done at the beginning of the game. And then San Diego State goes on like a 16-2 run Mm -hmm. and just completely shuts down everything that Alabama wants to do. No transition. No open threes. Like, they really start bodying what is consensus the best team all year. Like, that's incredibly impressive. Miami's win against Houston was one of the most impressive performances of the year. The way that they scored 89 points against a Houston team that is known for its physicality, known for its defense. And they were just raining threes, Mm -hmm. getting in transition, getting offensive rebounds. Like, really, really incredible performances in that round. Not even to say anything about the next round, but just, was there anything in the Sweet 16 that you were looking at and you were like, wow, that was impressive? Yeah, I mean, look, I I think part of, there's going to be a theme here. One of the things that we've lost sight of, I think, I mean, I know that there are people talking about this, but UConn has blown everybody out. They haven't had a close game. And that includes Arkansas. Like, the, the, when you look at their path so far, working up through it, first round, they beat Iona by 24. Then their closest game, they beat St. Mary's by 15. 
Arkansas, or, yeah, Arkansas by 23. Uh, Gonzaga by 28. Like, this team has been dominant. So, in the Sweet 16, I guess, if you're thinking about, like, what sticks out to me, it's that they were able to do that against the Arkansas team that was surging and just their continued dominance. I think that in the Sweet 16, you have, second time in three years, that Gonzaga has had a massive end-of-game shot to beat UCLA. Those are the things that when I look at the Sweet 16 stick out to me. I do look at San Diego State's ability to bottle up the Alabama offensive game. Not terribly surprising because it feels like in 2023 it probably is illegal to transition in Alabama. But the... I've got to give you a test every week. I mean, Brandon Miller, kind of a no-show to the tournament. If you're like an NBA scout, are you worried? Probably not. Is this a big knock on his... No, I don't think so. I think people put too much stock into singular performances in the tournament. And I think Brandon Miller has the track record and the physicality to prove that he's probably a good player. But he wasn't even good in their two wins. But I would say, I mean, you would think that this pressure, the swirling allegations, the figuring out the investigation of this murder trial... Yeah. How would that not impact anybody, particularly a college kid? So I wouldn't put too much stock into it. I mean, I think I would put more stock into the fact that, you know, what kind of character are you bringing in based on the whole situation itself Mm -hmm. rather than just his performance in a couple of games? It just was jarring to me to see the guy who, going into the tournament, we, everybody across the country, was like, oh, this guy's the best player in the country. And he was all season pretty much, right? I mean, outside of... Like, Drew Temme obviously was still really good. There were other players, but, I mean, this is the guy that everybody went to the tournament just assuming he's going to show up and and have those kind of performances to lead his team to victory at times. And he just wasn't really there when it mattered most. You know, he wasn't having the performances that some of these other guys like Noel from Kansas State had, Temme had for Gonzaga, you know, looking through some of these, it feels like a lot of these other teams have the signature performances. You know, Miami, Nigel Pack has been huge for them in the last couple of games. Trammell was big for San Diego State for a few games, right? So, like, you have other players stepping up, and it just concerns me to see the guy who talent alone should be so far above some of the other ones, and he just was unable to put it together. Now, he played good defensive teams, and they really keyed in on him. But, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's, it's been a fun run. I'm just... I guess my curiosity is looking at it. Does this feel like as a, as a college basketball fan, are you going to be able to accept with a tournament this like unconventional and weird? I've seen some people kind of suggesting that the winner of this tournament is going to sort of have an asterisk because like, yeah, but was this really the best team? Like, do you feel like we have the four best teams here? I think UConn is one of the four best teams. Okay. So I anticipate them winning. They're certainly my pick. They are only the fifth team since 2000 to have a 90-plus point differential through the four NCAA tournament games. So they are dominant, like Mm -hmm. you said. And analytically, they are one of the best teams in the country on both ends of the floor. They are the best offensive rebounding team, which makes them a perfect team for a tournament run. Cold shooting can be overcome by the fact that you have people who can go get a rebound, put it back up, get more possession. For the rest of it, I've said it before, the NCAA tournament is not a is not the best way to get the best four teams at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So you trade that in with college football. 
college football season, there are, there's so few teams that are actually elite. You end up with three or four of the elite teams in the country, and then you have a bunch of bowl games that don't really mean anything. Mm. So you have that at the end. College basketball is not that way. There's a lot of parity. There's very little difference between the top teams and teams that are 5 through 25 and then 25 through 50. So there are going to be a lot of upsets. This year had kind of a surprising number, but we've seen this before. We've seen VCU in the Final Four. We've seen George Mason, led by Jim Laranaga, in the Final Four. We've seen crazy teams like St. Peter's as a 15 seed get all the way to the Elite Eight. It used to have to survive. You have to survive the games. Whoever wins the championship, more power to them. You can't, can't take it away from them because they did their job and they won the games that they were supposed to win. Do I think these are the four teams, the four best teams, if you ran a simulation of 100 games right. against everybody? No, I don't. I don't think that. But I think you have four really, really good teams. Miami was probably the best team in the ACC all year. San Diego State played the best in their conference all year, a great defensive team. FAU has the most wins in the entire country. And then you have a team in UConn that was very close to winning the Big East yeah. and has all these great metrics. So... I'm fine with it. Like, I'm fine with the... I'm sure the ratings aren't going to be as good for the Final Four and the championship. We may end up with a very one-sided championship because I think whoever wins the UConn-Miami game is probably in a better position Mm -hmm. than the other side. But, man, I don't care. Like, it's great. It's great. Bring some new people into the fold. I'm excited for their fan bases. It's fun to see teams that aren't Kentucky and UNC and Duke every single year. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I actually think it's interesting. It feels like the... I'm thinking specifically, specifically about Florida Atlantic. And it feels like... I mean, they, they seem like the outlier, right? They are a nine seed. I know that they're, they won 30 games. And there's no doubt they're a good team. People were talking about them halfway through the season. As like, hey, here's a... I, don't, I guess they count as a mid-major that you should watch out for and, and all this stuff. But... It does feel like the, it's almost like we've had so much uh, Cinderella success over the last few years that it almost feels as though like people are sort of losing interest in those storylines. Like I don't, I don't feel like people are buying into FAU as like, oh man, like you know, I've, it just feels like ten years ago the country would have like think about when we had the Final Four runs of VCU and George Mason and everybody was just like, yes, I want this Wichita State, right? I want this team to win. And now it's just kind of like people are almost mad that they're there. <laughs> like, right. And, and even San Diego State, like they're not as big of an outlier because they've had some success, have been one of the winningest teams in the country over the last decade or so and have produced NBA players. But like it almost feels like fans wanted more high-profile teams. And maybe it is because of the rating. You know, you, you want to be able to tune in to watch Duke, Carolina play. So UConn's kind of carrying the torch for those types of programs this year. But I think Miami as well. Like, you're talking about UConn. I brought up UConn's dominance, but looking at Miami, I mean, they played a close game against Drake in the first round. But since then, uh, a 16-point win over Indiana, a 14-point win over Houston, and then a big comeback win against Texas, which to me represents a different kind of dominance where they were down most of the game, but then they really put it together and made a huge run at the end. It's, it's almost a shame. I, I feel like Miami-UConn feels like a championship game to me. Mm-hmm. Is that unfair to San Diego State and FAU? Like, can either of those teams beat 
you know, whoever comes out of that Miami-UConn game, or does that feel to you like a de facto championship game? It felt more like that when it was going to be Texas, mm. and it looked yesterday, we're recording this on Monday, uh, March 27th, and when it looked like it was going to be Texas when they were up 13, yeah. and kind of coasting to a clear victory, and you're going to get a two-seed and a four-seed, two established programs, it definitely felt that way where whoever won that game was going to win. And now it has the feel of, like, if it's anybody that's not UConn, Mm-hmm. It's up for grabs, but it's kind of UConn's to lose. Yeah. I could see a situation where both final four games are really good and the national championship isn't great. We've had several examples of that in the past. But at the same time, it's a question of what do you want from March Madness? Mm-hmm. Part of March Madness is the fact that it's crazy. It's crazy and unpredictable and not crazy and unpredictable, but then ultimately you get the four teams that you want in the championship, yeah. right? That's not a guarantee. And in this era where players can transfer all over the place, there's so much parity. The difference between making the final four and losing in the first round for FAU was literally a bad pass yeah. by Memphis. When they could have dribbled the ball out, they made a pass that they shouldn't have. It resulted in a jump ball and FAU scores on an inbounds play. They could have been a one-game-and-done team. Mm-hmm. And now they're in the Final Four. For me, that's super crazy and chaotic and fun. I love it. It's It sucks when it's my team that loses in the first <laughs> round on a ridiculous play, right? But it's what you tune in for. If you're tuning in just to see the th- three or four best teams that everybody thinks are the consensus teams, then let's do it like college football, mm-hmm. where we just have a committee, we have four teams... Yeah. Let's just put the, the top four seeds of the tournament, have them play each other in a weekend, and then we'll be done. Yeah. Right. But that's not the appeal for me. Right. So I get that some people may not be as excited about it, teams that they don't know. There are a lot of players on these teams they don't know. But I th- I, this, is, this is why I tune into college basketball. This is what has always drawn me to the sport. This is what we all signed up for. Like, this is the thing that we – part of what I wanted to get at is I think that it's it's almost kind of funny to me that we clamor for this. We love the madness of it all. But then when it actually happens, we sometimes are kind of like, oh, but I wanted madness, but with Kansas winning, right? Right. Like people want that madness, but but they don't want the result to be madness. They don't want that to be something that feels crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misreading college basketball fans at large. I just feel like I've seen a lot of dialogue online about kind of like FAU shouldn't be here. You know, even Miami, there's all sorts of stuff out there. And I think especially as we think about being a uh, an ACC-focused podcast, to me, Miami's presence, we talked last week about do we pull for Miami because of ACC pride or something. To me, it's more about, and I, and I said this last week, proving that the ACC was not a terrible conference. And it's funny, when, you, when they talk to those kids, those Miami kids after the game, I think it was uh, Jordan Miller who said... You know, it's all about those ACC games all year that prepared us for this. It's about going through that grind where we played close games against tough teams night in and night out because this conference is solid, again, from top to almost bottom. You have a couple teams that are outliers at the very bottom. But it's a tough conference, and that prepared this team to make this run. And Miami's equipped to do it because they have a deep roster with playmakers at each position and... You know, so it's not to say, like, I think some people in the national media especially will say, well, if the conference is so good, where's Duke? Where's Carolina? Where's NC State? Where's Virginia? And all this stuff. 
those were flawed teams. I'm not saying they didn't have flaws, but I'm saying that the fact that a team can come out of that conference and point to that as something that prepared them for tournament success tells me this conference is not as bad as Pat Forty and <laughs> I'm just picking on him because I know you hate him, but as other maybe national pundits would have you think. Like people act like the ACC this year was like the Sun Belt or something. And, and you know, clearly like you look at success over the last few years and, and I've, I feel like we've heard this narrative for a few years now that the ACC is not what it used to be. But at the end of the day, we're putting teams in the Final Four. Yeah, I think... The conference discussions are ridiculous. I know you hate this. They're, it's really ridiculous because the differences that we're talking in, in a national media narrative, you don't get any points for having subtlety mm-hmm. and saying there's a very small difference where the Big 12 is better on right. these three analytical sure. things. You don't get any points for saying that. You want to say the ACC sucks and the Big 12 is the great conference. Okay, there's so little difference between those things overall Mm -hmm. you had almost had the big east a conference nobody even thinks about in the grand scheme of things almost had two teams in the final four true and creighton would have had a really good chance of beating a fau too you could have had a creighton yukon final (laughs) which is all big east final for a conference that everybody jim bayheim would love that too i'm sure he would (laughs) but if you could find the channel right it's a one point game against san diego state yeah that decides that Miami, like you said, has this close game where they look like they're going to lose against Drake. They have to make a big comeback against Texas. All power them, all power to them for doing that. But there's just so little difference between all of these schools, yeah. even the mid-major schools. There's so much talent that are in these programs. That's why the transfer portal is so game-changing. Mm-hmm. Is people can go from top conferences down to minor conferences where they get playing time. You get people who are elite in minor conferences going up to big-time conferences where they now want to see if they can make a name for themselves at a power program. Yeah. It's just, it's chaos, and that's why you love it. That's why there are so many teams that are in contention. And, and I'm, I'm happy for Miami. I'm, I'm not a big Miami fan as a school, as sure. a, growing up in the ACC. Sure. Makes sense. I'm happy for Jim Laranega, one of my all-time favorid teams beyond the UVA teams, was that George Mason team that made the Final Four mm-hmm. and... Uh, 2006, being raised in Northern Virginia. That was a very cool moment to see this commuter school no one had ever heard of make the right. Final Four. I think it would be the equivalent for me of like UNC Charlotte mm-hmm. did it. Like that, I'd be like, oh my God, what? Yeah. Right, yeah. So that that's what I love about it. I love that there are different styles, the different matchups. I totally agree with you that playing in a conference like the ACC helped Miami get to this point. Mm-hmm. They, they were battle-tested enough to know that just because they're down 13 points to Texas, that the game's not over. They can continue to grind. They have the shooters. They have guards that can handle the ball. They have posts that can score. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for them, but I just think the conference narrative is so stupid. Like, Sure. It's not like... It, it's kind of the equivalent of saying in the NFL, oh, the AFC East sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, compared to the AFC Central. Like, they're all professional teams. That's kind of where we're at now with college basketball, with the level of parity that we have. You just dated yourself by saying AFC Central, which hasn't existed. Is it the AFC North? Yeah. AFC Central hasn't existed since the 90s. Bring back the Norris division. man. 
you uh, you touched on two things that I want to come back to. But first, my, my thought on this is that the conference thing and the professional sports division, to me, it feels a lot. I'm not... I'm not getting political, but it feels like how we use political parties in our society is like, I need a convenient way to categorize things, right? Rather than just thinking about college basketball talent distribution as a whole and things like that, rather than thinking about individual issues, give me a a, a catch-all kind of bucket that I can put it in. So I can talk about the ACC, I can talk about the Big 12, rather than having to have some nuance to it. That's as political as I'll get. The two things that you touched on that I wanted to come back to. One, you mentioned the San Diego State-Creighton game. Coming down to a one-point game. uh, Super close finish. Obviously, tons of controversy around the foul call at the end, really. I mean, we can the out-of-bounds thing, I think, is kind of a non-issue, honestly, after going back and watching again. But the the foul call. Thoughts? It's a foul. Yeah, where's the controversy? It's obviously a foul. I mean, is it just can, because of the rest of the game? And yeah, the, I think that the controversy is that the game, the refs let a lot of things go. Yeah. But, I, but, but hand on the hip of the shooter, one displacing I, him, obviously. Yeah, one thing that I don't like, anytime a ref makes a call at an end of a game, and this will sound like I'm being the UVA fan that's defending <laughs> Kyle Guy, which is not what I'm Here thinking. we go. He's putting his hair up in a man bun right now. <laughs> it's getting real weird. The I wish I had enough hair to do that. Yeah. Anytime a ref blows a whistle at the end of the game, there seem to be a number of commentators and fans who just don't think they should do it. Oh, because it's the end of the game. It's the end of the game. You should just put all just whistles away. So we saw that during the Super Bowl, where yeah. there was a major moment of interference, where somebody gets grabbed, pulled. If you don't make that call... That is just as controversial. Sure. The the alternate universe where that call isn't made and then Creighton wins the game in overtime is just as controversial. We just don't live in that universe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a foul. It's a foul by the rules of the game, but it's not just a technical foul. He literally had his hand on him while he was going up it to It clearly shoot. affected the play. It clearly affected his shot. He was short on the shot. This is where I think you can... So, a couple of things. The, the Super Bowl thing feels very pointed because... It, obviously, I, I, at the moment, I was upset about that pass interference call, but that was because of a bet I had made, and it was just, I was thinking with my wallet. But We've all been there. It's with okay. some separation, I can say, it, obviously, like that should have been called, and it was called. Obviously, this should be called. It sucks. You can still say as a fan, it sucks to have that be what a game comes down to. Like Nobody right. wants that, but you still have to make the call. If it, if it obviously affects the play, and the contact adversely affects a player's ability to make a play that will make a difference in the game. You have to call. You have to make the call. Totally agree with you. I think this is, it, it, again, the controversy, we can all look at it and say, hey, we wish this game hadn't come down to this. Fine. It's a foul. Period. Yeah, it would be great if every game came down to uh, Marcus Page hitting a ridiculous three, and then on the next play... Uh, Chris Jenkins hits oh, the Gonzaga UCLA game, or that like right? UCLA like, makes a shot. Gonzaga comes down, and it would be great if every basketball game came down yeah, to that. I yeah. would love that. I'd sign me up. But that's not the it's reality not we live in. Yeah. A lot of basketball games come down to free throws, or the ball gets dribbled off somebody's foot, or a bad turnover, or you know. And sometimes it comes down to a ref making a call that he has to make. It would have been just as controversial 
we would have been watching this over and over and over. Hey, look at this. This guy's hand is in his stomach as yeah. he's shooting the ball. Why didn't they make a call? Now right. Creighton's in the Final Four. Yeah, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it less bad. And that and almost feels less legitimate, right? If I'm just a fan who doesn't really care about either of those two teams, like I look at that and if you don't get the call, now I'm like, well, they're in it, but they fouled to get there and they didn't get it. Versus like, at least this guy had to go make free throw. Mm-hmm. You know, at least he had to earn it further. Like there was something else he had to go do. And he shot one for two. Like he missed that first one and it was kind of like, oh shit, this whole thing it's might not pressure. matter. And then he, like, that was, to me, that's still a fun moment. Good and that was God. my take always on the UVA Auburn semifinal game, which sure. I don't want to relitigate, but because it was a foul. But as people hated the way that that ended, it was still more dramatic than you could ever imagine. Kyle Guy on the line shooting three free throws. So, like, yeah, it would have been awesome if Kyle had just hit the three and not been fouled. That would have been great. UVA fans would love that. We'd sign up for that every time. But it was still a dramatic moment. It was still a dramatic moment in the San Diego State Creighton game as well. Before I get back to my other major point, I and you may I don't know if you saw this. So. The other call, the big officiating thing in the Miami game, the box out foul. So Texas, uh, I think his name is Buchanan, number 30. Todd O'Meara is in the air, boxes out. He's called for a foul for undercutting O'Meara. What were your thoughts? I, I thought this was a great call. I, th- I, I got really mad at first because I thought they called O'Meara for a foul for the mythical over-the-back foul, which isn't a thing unless you're impeding someone else's movement with a push or something like that, he was clearly to me, and you can disagree, was already up in the air and then got undercut. To me, that feels like a clear foul on the Texas player. Yeah, I totally agree. That's one of those things that anytime somebody is behind somebody on a rebound and touches them over the back, that's what everybody screams at any level. Especially short people, I think. Yeah, short people, I do this all the time. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah, one of those things. If you're already in the air trying to make a play on the ball and then somebody gets into your right. cylinder, right, that's a foul on you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where the location of that is. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was exactly the right call. And honestly, Texas, if you're complaining about that over the back after calls blowing after the... blowing a 13-point lead, like they, that's the least. Agree. I'm not going to listen to that. I'll at least listen to Creighton fans who are disappointed sure. that a, a really... Because your team played well. You played really well, and it was a physical game. And then, yes, it was a foul, but of all the things, that was more of a touch foul than some of the things that could have been called. I'm not listening to Texas fans. Yeah. Get out it, of here. Doug Gottlieb is the guy I've seen with the most... I'm not listening to Doug Gottlieb. I, I, me neither. Me neither. I'm certainly not trusting him with a credit card. Uh, the... Um, <laughs> The I've seen him complain the most, and his whole thing on Twitter was like, well, so if I'm getting boxed out, I can just jump, and it's going to be a foul on the other guy? And it's like, no, the, the difference here was that Norchad O'Meara was in the air and then got boxed out and got shifted like eight feet away from right. where he originally jumped. It just felt pretty clear to me. It just it came up because I, I, we were talking about officiating. But the big question I wanted to ask you, and this uh, you know we can kind of use this to, I guess, be a general preview of the Final Four, we, we were talking earlier about the status of having maybe some unforeseen teams in the Final Four and, you know, lower prestige programs there, I guess you could say. To me, well, here, I, I guess I'll phrase that as a question. Is college basketball currently 
as good as it's ever been in terms of talent being widely distributed and just like having more high quality teams than ever before. Does it feel like this is like the peak of college basketball? Because that's almost how I see it. It depends on what you want. I get the sense that a lot of fans really like top-heavy dynasty teams. They want excellence at the top, dominating everybody else. They want to see a Gonzaga team try to be perfect and have a perfect season. Mm -hmm. Is parity as excellent? Is, Is it the best college basketball overall? No, I don't think it is. I mean, I think you see so many people with the one and done era with G League people opting out of college basketball altogether. I think that the quality of play universally is probably lower than it has been at other points. Interesting. But it's more exciting because in any individual game, you there is a lot of talent there. Yeah. So the, the floor is much higher. The ceiling's a little bit lower, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I feel like I'm viewing this very much in the same lens as we have this conversation a lot as sports fans about the NBA and comparing like old school NBA with current where to me, and we don't have to get into this argument right now, but to me, it seems clear that there's more talent in the NBA now than there ever has been before. Yeah, 100%. And I, I view college basketball similarly because you have smaller programs that have to quote Jerome Tang, they got dudes. Like these there just seem to be dudes everywhere now. Where you've got you, you turn on a game and you're gonna have somebody going for some massive performance and, and people you've never heard of, and, and then we turn around and, and see it's not like this never happened before. You know, you would have your players at your mid-majors who you know, I think about like Eric Maynard at VCU and people like that. But, and this maybe can serve as a good segue to a, later, a, a thing later, but when you look at now the transfer portal, these guys then end up with opportunities to go to bigger programs. And we see like, like if Eric Maynard had been able to transfer easily from VCU to like an ACC program, we probably would have found out that like, oh, this guy can play anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it feels like we're seeing that more, which to me makes college basketball feel like we just have the best depth of talent that we've ever had because we're starting to see that like there are guys at random schools who are dudes, who can play. And it just feels like now you have that parity, but it, to me it doesn't feel like it's because your your Blue Bloods, your elite programs are down. It's because everybody else is rising to that level. Gonzaga used to be able to just effortlessly trample through their conference. But now St. Mary's is up. San Francisco is getting better. Like you have other programs that are starting to rise to that challenge, tapping into talent where I think this is a much more in-depth conversation. We probably would need like an expert to really talk about this, but scouting is getting better. So programs are getting better at finding people who don't stick out on the, you know, they don't have their shoe circuit AAU highlight tape out there, but they're still guys who can play, right? Whereas, like, it used to be rare that you'd find a CJ McCollum, a Damian Lillard, a, you know, those kinds of people. Now it seems like you're the guy at Detroit Mercy who almost broke Pete Maravich's record. Like, nation's leading scorer, but 
outside of people who obsessively watch college basketball, a lot of fans still couldn't name them, name him, like or know who he is, or know where he played, or whatever, right? So I don't know. It feels like we're at kind of a peak of talent right now. Yeah, it's interesting because I agree with everything that you just said. I think it's very spread out. The talent is very spread out throughout the country where people can find niches and they can get on TV in a way that they couldn't get before. So it's not as important to be, I got to be on this program because they're the only ones that are on TV and that's the only way that I'm going to get noticed yeah. if I want to have a professional career. Like that that era is over. So you can play anywhere in the country and have an opportunity to be successful and have yeah. a professional career or anything like that. I think that that's still... I think the AAU is part of it where sure. people play in this AAU culture where it emphasizes being able to get stats, being able to get a bucket, not necessarily being able to play defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that permeates through college basketball where the games themselves, I find a number of times watching it, as entertaining as it is and as close as many as the games are with upsets, that the quality of play isn't quite as good. Mm. And whereas you watch an NBA game, the quality of everybody who's on the floor is amazing. Even the worst teams in the NBA have dudes that can shoot the ball from anywhere yeah. and make incredibly athletic plays. I love college basketball. I, I can put on any two teams in college basketball and probably be entertained. And that's probably what you're getting at. is mm. like as peak as basketball yeah. fans. I get the sense that most people watch basketball... And think these are the teams that can get the best recruits. Those are the ones that I expect to be talented every single year. But at the same time, basketball has like at the most 12 play. They can only have five people on the court at any given time. It's not like football where sure. Alabama and Georgia and Michigan or whoever can hoard 70 of the best players in the country and everybody else has to fight for scraps. There are a lot of really talented basketball players. There are people who can shoot. There are people who are tall. There are people who can rebound. And everybody has access to that. You can only play five of them at once. So it's really an opportunity to see talented players all over the country. I love it. Mm-hmm. I, like For me, basketball is extremely entertaining. I haven't lost any seeing this Final Four I'm going to be super engaged and watch all four oh, yeah. teams, even though I don't know them as well as I would know most teams. I mean, I know Miami better than the other three teams there, uh-huh. but I'm super engaged. Maybe fans feel differently, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. You're not in De'Aaron Foxland. Did you see his quote? Where he no. said he, he basically said he can't watch college basketball. He's like, the shot, it's all bad. He was like, these guys suck, basically. Like, the shot selection is bad. I think he's spoiled, right? He's in the NBA, and the basketball he sees through watching film and playing is all the best of the best. Well, what, one thing I was talking to Chris about this. One thing about the transfer portal, which I overall think is very good, it gives players opportunities and rights to find and make their careers in places. They, like Players shouldn't have to be miserable or just sit out a year because right. they want to be closer to home or because the school isn't the right fit, or a coach leaves, right? That's just unfair to players. Yeah. But it is true that with people moving all over the place, you lose that continuity that you would get from playing year after year. You lose that ability Mm -hmm. for a player who has worked within a program for four years and knows the coach, knows the plays, grows through that whole program, and has played with two or three other Mm -hmm. upperclassmen. You lose that. Mm -hmm. So it's not as good if you play... 
but you just can't be. You haven't played as many minutes together in practice and in games with yeah. people who have transferred in. Yeah. That doesn't make it bad. It's mm-hmm. just it's probably not quite as clean. It, you probably have more turnovers. You probably shoot the ball, uh, take quicker shots than you would if you've played within a system for three or four years. Yeah. So I, I get that criticism. But at the same time, it's about what, what do you value in basketball? If you're valuing entertainment and drama yeah. and not the same team winning every single year, like it's boring to me if Kentucky wins every single year. I don't think it's boring if the Golden State Warriors, you know, it, like, yeah. It's unless you're a Golden State Warriors fan, like, sure. great. It's fun to me that a team like UNC can be in the national championship game last year and come back this year and not make the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, I find that entertaining. But well, and his focus was specifically on shot making. His full quote was, I can't watch a full college game. It's hard. Just the shot making is obviously not at the pro level. The refs are bad. Right. Sure. One's a pro level and one's not a pro level. Absolutely. That makes sense. So the refs are bad. Check. Fine. It's been bad this year. With that. A lot of the coaching is really bad. I can't stand it. I actually disagree with him on the coaching. I was going to say I feel like coaching is at a, a real peak level right now because I think there's so much information out there and you're starting to get more and more people who are willing to take new approaches to things. You look at Fairleigh Dickinson and Tobin Anderson, for example. Like willing to take a new approach where you're really not even playing a center. Like you're, you're kind of going five out. Um, but using that to disrupt teams who do play with size. Like Purdue had the biggest dude on the court in the tournament. I, I think coaching right now is actually at a very high level. I think there's a lot of really great coaches out there. When you think about, like, we, we were just having a conversation about this over dinner today. FAU and Dusty May. And we were like, okay, he can. where does he parlay this run into, like, a leap? What job does he jump to? There's not really a spot for him somewhere much better because there just are, I mean, are there spots where we could say, yes, like Georgia could upgrade or whatever. I'm sure we could find a spot for him, but like there's not really a lot of great openings out there right now because I just think there's a lot of good coaches. Speaking of good coaches, Texas decided that they were actually going to hitch their wagon to Rodney Terry. Five-year deal. I couldn't be happier. This, this, I was ranting about this the other day to my dad that this had to happen. Like, it just, it felt so obvious. So obvious. But I was so worried that, that you know, Texas was going to Texas and get all big-eyed about Calipari and try to jump in on something like that and just try to make a splash. When it's obvious you've got a great coach there already. Like, this is perfect. They nailed it. The one question I have about him, I, I, I agree. I think it's great. I'm glad they did it. it. You can't take over a major program like that, get them to the Elite Eight and on the verge of a Final Four and not be a great X's and O's coach. It will be interesting to see how he's able to recruit on his own. Chris Beard was a great recruiter. Mm-hmm. How will he be able to own that program? He was unsuccessful at previous programs like UTEP, Will he be able to recruit that kind of talent? It does feel like, here's where I think this will go. It'll be like one of those things where everybody wonders whether a couple's going to stay together and mm. they decide to move in. And then everyone's wondering the whole way through, when is the relationship going to end? Texas does not have any patience with their donors. 
They have an athletic donor program. They're already flirting with John Calipari. They, I just feel like at this point, you waited, you drew this out so long. You could have at any point during the season said, yeah, this guy could coach, which yeah. he clearly can. Yeah. He deserves a chance. You could have done that at any point during the season, and you didn't do it. You waited until the Elite Eight game mm-hmm. to make that decision. It, it's clear that Texas does not have as much of a commitment to him. That's fair. So I, I feel like it will end poorly just because of Texas, not because of Rodney Terry. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. he's a very good coach. Yeah. I, he deserves the job. That's fair. I am happy for him, and I think Texas made the right decision. They should have made this decision months ago. It does feel like either they, maybe they were trying, right, to make a big splash and got the sense they just weren't going to be able to. And it feels like they're settling, which is crazy because it's not settling. Like, this is a really good coach. But you're right. I think from their attitude, and that's what could ruin it, it was ironic to, to see Sark there. Uh, he was watching from, like, courtside. I saw a great tweet. It was like, man, that guy's not going to miss a Texas meltdown. Um, <laughs> you know, this is uh, – yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping this is just, like, Texas – being logical and saying like, look, this guy obviously guided our team in a really tough time to an exceptional performance and clearly deserves the job. Yeah, I just don't have a lot of faith that Texas will, having tested the waters here, make a true commitment to him. And and maybe if he's able to recruit and get in top talent, they have all the resources in the world. You can't that that's always the Texas donors yeah. things, right? We'll give you whatever you want. Can RG Manning play the two guard and right, right. drain eight threes in an elite eight game? I kind of want to see that. Now, <laughs> actually, <laughs> me too. Uh, I want to see that battle between him and Quinn Yours to see who's more ball dominant. <laughs> that's but right. Before we move on to talking about the portal, which there's been some major news about that. Who you got in the final four? We should get on the record for that. Yeah. Does it matter? Like, I just want to say UConn is going to win the whole thing. Does it matter in between? I think UConn's going to beat Miami. I think it's going to be UConn, San Diego State in the final. UConn by nine. I think it's going to be more than that. I agree with that assessment. You, uh, my bet of the final four, San Diego State, I think is only a one and a half point favorite over FAU. Love Ugh. that. Love that. That's kind of Go stinky. That's kind of stinky. It is, but I think it's just people don't know anything about either program. So they're just throwing shit against the wall. Yeah, they're just hey, they beat Kansas State. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's fair. lock and load San Diego State. That's my bet. absolutely. I, yeah, I, I just think that when it comes down to it, it's it's it just seems pretty clear to me it's going to be San Diego State UConn, which means it probably won't be. But it feels so obvious. The Miami FAU final. We were all clamoring oh, Jesus, for man the. Retirement homes will be lit. I think that it is, yeah, I, I just see that and I'm just, I don't know, 72 63 UConn over San Diego State. I have a feeling. So the transfer portal. Transfer thing, portal be portaling. The, th- the thing that's making college basketball great or terrible, depending on who you ask. Great. Both of our programs, me with UVA, you with NC State. Mm hmm. Having some departures. Sure. In the last few days, you lost Jack Clark. We did. We lost Jack Clark. So far, that's it. I thought it was a... What's his name? Duana. He has not officially entered the portal. Jack Clark is gone. I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's... He may not be gone. Okay. UVA 
today has seen Isaac Trout and Caden Shedrick enter the portal. Uh, Trout was expected for the last couple of weeks. It's been a known expected outcome with him wanting to be closer to home. Caden Shedrick was always a consideration for somebody who lost playing time after being a starter at the beginning of the year, but played really well. So how do you think about the portal at this point? So it's obviously it's disappointing when you lose players that you have some kind of investment in, but what is your overall mindset and approach to seeing people leave your program, seeing people that might be in there, looking at free agents possibly? Like, where, how, how are you feeling about this? Sure. I Listen, I, I love the portal. I really do. I think it's added a new wrinkle to roster building in college basketball that is exciting, that puts coaches in a position to adjust more frequently Good coaches tend to be very reflective people and think about strengths and weaknesses from year to year and how can I make my roster better to fit things that are going well and and kind of what I expect to have back, right? So if you're, for example, if you're NC State, you've got the potential, you know your backcourt's gone. You know Jarko Joyner has exhausted his eligibility. Terquavion Smith seems certainly headed to the pros. So you know you're replacing that, and you know you probably have some front court depth back. So now you can sort of shape your roster, you know, for the year, just based on what you have. And if you think, for example, I mean, I don't, I have no more knowledge than anyone else, but let's say Kevin Keats knows that Casey Morsell and DJ Burns, maybe they've hinted at coming back. Now you know you have some veterans who've tasted success. So you got to dip into the transfer portal and look for veteran guards that you think could help your team win now versus if those guys were gone and you had a sense that you have a younger core that maybe you're trying to develop over the course of a year or two, maybe three years, which is harder to do now, you you develop your roster differently. But I think there are there are situations where teams are looking at, you know, hey, we're a piece or two away. And, and now we can go find that guy, whether it's somebody like a Caleb Love who's transferring out of Carolina and feels to some people like maybe a potential spark plug for an offense. Okay, as seems charged at me. Go um, ahead. Well, you did say earlier that you he's would, not coming to you yet. You would Go ahead. do anything for him or something along those lines. But no, you have a guys that transfer out of major programs or or Kitten Shedrick, who like another big program could look at and say, "Hey, this guy has proven he can play in a Power Five conference, and that's great." Or you take a shot. You know, at somebody like, you know, over the years we've seen a few successes in the ACC. I mean, DJ Burns is one of them who comes from a smaller school. Um, now, he was at Tennessee first, but he came from Winthrop. Or, you know, going to, to get uh, Vanderplas from Ohio. Or even like, I mean, I guess Brady Manick came from Oklahoma, but he wasn't like a big, big time player. You know what I mean? Like, those guys who maybe prove themselves at either smaller schools or in smaller roles and you look at it and, and, and say, hey, we have a chance to give them. It's like in the NBA when you find a guy who was a role player, excelled, maybe somebody got hurt. And you're like, oh, here's a chance for that person to move a step up. I just think all around it's fun to watch some of these guys get chances. And then you have the guys who are you know, big-time recruits who just don't quite pan out. In the spot they go to. So, one of the, uh, uh, Kalel Ware, a five star big man who went to Oregon this past year and just didn't play much. 
change of scenery is going to work out for him. Or, or Isaac Trout, who, you know, took a red shirt and now is going to go be the heir apparent as the big man in Creighton. Allegedly. Sure. Hasn't committed there. But. Right, but... He's going to be a Creighton. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just, I like it. It certainly makes it harder. We've talked about this before. It makes it harder as a fan sometimes to like, like I felt as an NC State fan going into this year, I was like, if you had asked me in September, October, who Jack Clark was, I'd be like, oh, who cares? Like, there's no way that guy plays a major role on this 15th place team. And now he transferred away and I'm like, oh man, we're going to miss that guy. Right? So it definitely changes Fanhood, I feel like. But, but I think overall it's a positive thing. The one thing that I want to use this space for all of our listeners as an educational, therapeutic space. It is okay to be upset that people leave. It is okay to be disappointed. It is okay to have an investment. That's why we like sports. Mm-hmm. I personally am disappointed that I won't get to see Isaac Trout play for UVA. Because I was really excited about it. I'd heard great things based on practice reports and his high school tape. I thought he would have been a great asset to UVA. And I'm disappointed that I don't get to see that. But folks, this is the world we live in. Because people transfer out of a program does not mean that the program is collapsing. We need to calm down. Channeling Taylor Swift. Like, we have to calm down about this. Like... Everything I read, whenever anybody leaves any program, this this goes beyond UVA, but I've seen a lot of people in the UVA spheres, particularly in the last 24 hours with Caden Shedrick and Isaac Trout leaving. Does Tony Bennett's style work? Can Tony Bennett, is he losing the locker room? This is just the way we, this is the era we live in. Mm-hmm. Tony Bennett has also had a pretty good track record of bringing in transfers from other program. We have Trey Murphy from Rice. We have Jaden Gardner from ECU. We have Sam Hauser from Marquette. Just because somebody leaves to go find another opportunity because they think that there is a better spot out there for them does not mean that the sky is falling. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, be, be disappointed. That's fine. But also understand that there are opportunities and you have to see the big picture unc is going to be fine as much as i would love unc's program to collapse they've had all of these Implode. people leave. like do you really think that hubert davis is not going to bring in a whole bunch of talented freshmen and transfers right of course they are they'll, they're going to be fine be perfectly fine right i wish that that were not the case but this is the world we live in you have to go into every season expecting three mm-hmm. to four transfers from your program that's the new normal. That, and I know that that's weird to deal with because you never had to deal with it before. I do think it's putting an interesting dichotomy on recruiting freshmen now because I feel like there are a lot of programs now that don't want to invest in freshmen worrying that they will go somewhere else. And maybe that's right. good. Freshmen should be able to have the opportunity to play if that's what their coaches are promising them. Right. But come on like settle down i also think it and i and i yeah i could not agree with you more i think fans need to calm down about this i have heard fans see and this has been over the last few years but i've heard fans see these guys enter the portal and they're immediately like oh my god like what's happening right like i'm seeing it now with uva fans there are certain uva fans who are like there's no way we can survive this and you know, this is terrible and all these different things, but it is it is just different now and coaches find ways to adapt. But I, I do think over the next few years, I see this calming down. 
I see some... So, yes, right now, when it comes to recruiting freshmen in particular, you have to think about the fact that if they don't if, if they don't play a lot, they're just going to leave. And, and that's fine. And you're going to have to replace them and figure that out. But I think that's... That's for now, and I think that's kind of like because this is a new thing, an opportunity, and what's happening is a lot of those people simply aren't necessarily like finding – the grass isn't always greener, right? And I think they're starting to find that. Um, so you referenced – I was wrong. I, he wasn't showing up where I was looking at the portal. Dewana was not in the portal, but there are news stories about him entering. So he's not showing up in the official portal, which is odd to me. But in looking at that – you go back to the, uh, I guess it's the 2020 class for for NC State. At one point, it was ranked fifth in the country. None of those guys are on the roster anymore. So the the centerpiece was Josh Hall, who went pro straight out of he went to he did the whole like G League whatever thing that they can do now. Never played college basketball. Cam Hayes played a year and transferred to LSU. Shaquille Moore played a year and transferred to Mississippi State. Nick Farrar has he came in played sparingly and has now played at both Charleston and UNCW. Uh, Jalen Gibson's at Winston Salem State. So and Duana is is in the transfer portal now. It just goes to show, like at that point, you look at the 2020 class, seems so promising for NC State. Now none of them are there, so you have to re-recruit. But as I go through that list, Josh Hall went pro. You haven't heard his name. He's not in the NBA. Cam Hayes, LSU. He's, he was fine. Shaquille Moore, I mean, honestly, the biggest moment he had was he missed the shot in the NCAA tournament when Mississippi State lost at the very end. He took that corner three that rimmed out. And the other two you've never heard of. So, like, I think over time recruits are going to start to look at this and say, hey, all these guys are going to a school, not getting all the playing time they want, transferring out, and it's not actually getting better for them. Maybe it's better to stay in a place. And I think guys will start to see that and realize, hey, I'm – People need to be honest with some of these recruits and say, look, you're a three-star. That means you're good. You're not a program changer, probably. At least not right now. So maybe your best spot is to go somewhere and develop. Redshirt and develop. There's a reason, if you're a trout, that you developed or that you redshirted. There's a reason that you know, UVA had, what, three different redshirts this year? Two, yeah. So, like, you have guys that just, you got to sit and, and figure it out. And I think that that has kind of gone away but it'll come back i think there's guys that'll realize hey i need the time i think the uva fans complain about isaac trout is that he kind of came in and seemed to say i need the time and then transferred who knows what's he's also a human being who knows what's going on yeah i'm again it, it sounds like from this specifically based on his statement he wants to be closer to home yeah like he has a girl, he has that. a girlfriend that uh, goes to crate you can't hold that against him for wanting to be closer to home or to find a better basketball opportunity. So, yeah, I, I think this whole thing, again, you can be disappointed. You could, you could be frustrated. You could be confused by all of it. But, I don't know. I, the idea that Hubert Davis or Tony Bennett or Kevin Keats or any of these coaches just forgot how to coach or lost the locker room or didn't anticipate that people might leave is mm, ridiculous. Yeah. More to come on that. Who's your, right now, if you had to like, just what you know about who's in the transfer portal. Is there somebody that you are dying for UVA to go get? Is there somebody that you think is just like a perfect fit? So for example, a lot of NC State fans are drooling over Dontre Styles 
transferring out of Carolina. I see him as a super athletic forward who probably fits within our system. I think also there's some of that of like they kind of want to dunk on Carolina and steal one of their guys and then have him play really well against them. But is there somebody is there somebody in the transfer portal that you look at and you're like this guy seems to fit in perfectly and I really want him at UVA. It's okay if not, but yeah, I have a couple thoughts. The first is that UVA fans have totally forgotten the fact that UVA was an early mover in the transfer portal. Yeah. They went and got Dante Harris, who left Georgetown. You're high on him. I am very high on him. This is a guy who was the Big East Tournament MVP as a freshman. Single-handedly won the Big East Tournament Mm -hmm. for Georgetown. Very smart. Very athletic. Still has an opportunity to be better as an outside shooter. But is a pure scorer at point guard than UVA has had since Ty Jerome. Mm-hmm. No offense to Kihei. This, this guy's a better scorer. He's taller than him, too. I'm very, very high on Dante Harris. And I've seen a lot of projections, even before these uh, transfers out, or portals people out, that Dante Harris was going to come off the bench. That never resonated with me. This is a guy who was 100% going to be a starter from day one. There's no way Tony Bennett got him that early and has had an opportunity to have him practice with the team for as long as he has, and not immediately take over, hopefully with Reese Beekman if he decides to come back. Mm-hmm. So, very big on him, already in the program. The guy that I'm most interested in, and I have no idea whether he has any opportunity to actually come to UVA, this guy, Blue Kane, from Georgia Tech. He decommitted from Georgia Tech after Passner got fired, and UVA has reached out to him. He's a four-star guard and has a lot of programs uh, going after him. Apparently, he's a very, very good outside shooter, and his name is Blue Kane. I think that's pretty cool. That's the guy I want. I don't have any other thoughts. I mean, there are people in the portal that are like, this guy's from Albany or Merrimack. I don't know. I've never seen them play. I mean, I'm sure the second that they sign, I'll tell you that they're a great player, but they don't have names like Blue Kane. Sign me that's up. That's right. That's right. I'm into that, and I love it. The uh, I guess I'm thinking from a... From an NC State perspective, again, I kind of mentioned some of this, but it feels like we need to replace a backcourt. And it feels like we need to find guys who can step into the backcourt and play immediately. The The guy that I really... So here's... I guess there's a couple different worlds I'm living in. If there's this fantasy world where Terquavion Smith comes back. Fantasy. But if it happens... you and need to, the locusts come. <laughs> you need to pair him with kind of a true point guard who can set him up defend, run an offense, run an up-tempo game. And to me, that is clearly Severe Wheeler. Uh, He's transferring out of Kentucky. He's small, but he's fast and seems to fit really, really well. I want him regardless. Um, I also really like DJ Horn uh, out of Arizona State. I feel like those are some dynamic guards that could really make a difference. I really like, speaking of transfers out of uh, Georgetown, Brandon Murray Mm, um, yeah. Kid can play and kid can get buckets. So I feel like that could be a really good fit for what NC State is going to need. Outside of that, I mean, there are some guys out there that I think are pipe dreams, probably. I, I mean, like, obviously, Joe Girard can light it up shooting the ball. Uh, that Any team would love to add that. I don't really know what he's looking for in the transfer portal because he seems like the quintessential Syracuse player. He seems like the kind of guy that could enter, enter the portal and then end up back 
Um, yeah, without Jim Beheim talking trash about him, what is there for right. his game? I don't know. For sure. So, I don't know. Those are some of the guys. I mean, Ben Middlebrooks from Clemson sticks out as somebody I like in the portal. The guy I like that I know State can't get, and I'm shocked he's transferring from Arizona, is Kerr Creesa. I mean, the guy very wears 25 with Kerr on his back because of idolizing Steve Kerr as a kid. Like, the fact that he's transferring from Arizona is wild. Now, the prediction is he's going to Xavier to play for Sean Miller, which makes some sense to me. But, yeah, I mean, the the one I'm excited to see, regardless of where he goes, is Puff Johnson. I think that kid yeah. can play. And I'm glad it's not going to be at Carolina. Maybe he'll come to state or something like that. That'd be fun. That would be wild. Yeah. I mean, any of those, the idea that Dontre Styles would come, like, a Carolina to state transfer just feels wild to me, but... It's not impossible. The, the one thing I will say, I've seen some people on the Sabre.com forums, obviously a great forum that you should all spend your time in. Love it. But uh, I've seen some people uh, discuss whether players from mid-majors getting consideration are worth the same as somebody. I did, there's a player from Texas Tech who hasn't got, been getting as much playing time that UVA reached out to. I don't really care what their school is that they played in. Yeah. Something like shooting in particular, if you're X percentage from three, I don't care what school you played for, whether it was a mid-major, minor school. I don't think that should be a consideration. You can either play or you can't. This is kind of what we've been talking about the whole episode. There is so much parity. I don't want any school, particularly my school, to get into the mindset of, well, this guy isn't an ACC player Mm -hmm. because he played at Merrimack for whatever. Maybe he just went under-recruited in high school and didn't get the look that he should have, and he's been able to play all along. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely... like I mean, you look at guys like... First of all, it drives me insane to say this guy's name because it makes me feel old, but Jameer Nelson Jr. gets buckets mm-hmm. out of Delaware. Um, that really does make me feel old, oh, too. It's wild. It's wild. I mean, there's some great guys available, and they come from a variety of, of places. I mean, yes, there's there's high-profile names like Jamin Brakefield's back in the transfer portal. Uh, there's been some talk that he ends up back at Duke, which would be nuts. The guy I like for UVA, uh, honestly, which seems weird, but with Shedrick, with your bigs out, Manny Bates is back back around. Uh, he says he's going pro, but um, I think he's entering his name in the portal as well. There's lots of, uh, I think that would, to me, that would make sense. But there's so many options, and some of them do come from kind of smaller schools, but but they can play, and if you can play, you can play, period. Like, you don't, I don't care who you're playing against or who you're playing for. If you're going out there and getting 20 points a game, like, you can play basketball. So, something we will definitely keep an eye on going forward. Lots of people still to declare that they're going into the portal between now and who knows by the next time we record this, how many people will be signed with someone else or joining the portal themselves. The last thing I wanted to talk about, we had started to discuss and map out a segment that you wanted to do Mm -hmm. that you introduced last week about the best players from high school and going to schools. Do you want to introduce that and yeah. figure out kind of where we landed on that after, <laughs> after some difficult research? Yeah. The idea was, you know, if you took these programs, uh, major college programs, didn't have to be teams that made the tournament this year, just 
major programs. And if you limited their recruiting footprint to basically they could only recruit players from their state, and we kind of specified in like basically within their region because you have a lot of states that have multiple major programs. So you divide up the players by which ones they're sort of geographically closer to. And we talked about what this would look like and what a college basketball season would look like. And I think you and I both today started mapping this out and thinking about how this breaks down. And I think what we discovered is while this, in theory, is an interesting thought exercise, the existence of some of the elite prep schools in the country kind of ruins this because it really isolates some of your best players into a few major areas. I want to know what UCF is doing. (laughs) How come with Montverde Academy... Within an hour's drive. Sure. How are you not keeping homegrown talent? What is going on? I there mean, they UCF? could be rolling out a lineup right now. If if this is what I, I I wrote down some of this, they could be rolling out Ryan Nimhard from Creighton, uh, Derek Whitehead from Duke, Dylan Mitchell from Texas, Texas. Jalen Hood Shafino from Indiana, Uday I forget his first name from uh, Kansas, Sky Clark who just transferred, Bryce Sensabaugh from Ohio State. This is a National championship team. Johnny Dawkins, what are you doing? Yeah. Clearly not recruiting. What are you doing? You don't even have to get on a plane or a car. Just go outside. Just Uber. Yeah. Just Uber over there. Just step out of your gym and be like, hey, anybody want to? And then there. Let's run it back. Done. NIL deals. Just figure it out. Work, Work out some deal with Disney or something. I don't know. Yeah. I was looking at this too. And I think we ended up, we were trying to create a final four of the... The, the closest high schools to the colleges. And I think we had three of the same four, right? With UCF, SMU has a really good, there's a there's a lot of talent right I mean, SMU's rolling Texas out, first Dallas. of all, just Drew Timmy, Marcus Sasser, Kaysan Wallace. They're probably going to win the whole thing you right don't, there. You don't need anything else other than that. So, yeah, you had UCF, SMU. Who else did you? I had UCLA, UCLA. also. Although there was a little bit of, you know, with Los Angeles right there, how are you splitting up that talent? I will say this. this I gave up on it. I started to try to look at who's from like north of LA and who's from just south of LA and tried to split them up between USC and you. But UCLA was still pulling most of the talent. There, it, it pains me to say this, uh, both from my rival standpoint and my wife's standpoint, who's from New Jersey. There's a lot of talent in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So Rutgers, I guess, or Princeton, whichever yeah. one wants to closer. claim, whichever one's closer. And also, Virginia Tech being as close to mm. Oak Hill Academy as yeah. they are, I think that they, they probably get credit for a lot of those people that come through. True. Yeah, I think it was something that in theory was going to be much more interesting. I started to go through some of the top players and kind of where they would have aligned. Um, I had South Florida as a pretty solid contender because they're right by IMG. So they're pulling all of those guys. So basically, you have a starting lineup of at USF. Of Jaden Bradley from Alabama, Keontae George from Baylor, Jarris Walker from Houston, or Jet Howard from, from Michigan, uh, Betty Yako from Alabama, and Zach Eady was an IMG. So, so like all those guys put together a pretty, pretty damn solid college basketball team. Like, where you're looking at, like, all of the role players are going to be high rated recruits, but it was interesting to go through and look at, like, what if, right? So, like, Oscar Shibwe would be at Pitt if he went to the closest program mm-hmm. to his high school. Armando Baycott would be at VCU or Richmond, but VCU is more fun to imagine. Uh, Sasser at SMU with Temi. 
Trace Jackson Davis would still be at IU. Hunter Dickinson, University of Maryland, which just feels right. That he's the most Maryland player <laughs> who's never suited up for the turf. Jaime Hawkins would still be at UCLA. Zach Eady at USF. This, this was fun to kind of go through and start placing these guys, but it just became obvious that it was going to lose some interest as we figured out that like it's just the same. It's interesting that I feel like college football coaches get dissed for this all the time, mm. right? You didn't recruit in state, right? Or there, you let yeah. somebody else recruit over in your in your territory where you have to win your state, and the college basketball kind of doesn't have that same level of that. I mean, I think right. there are some places... I know the D.C. area, like how Georgetown and Maryland attack the D.C. area is very important to the those mm-hmm. fan bases. But beyond that, it's such a national thing nowadays, right? Like, you don't lose... Nobody cares if this person actually comes from your state, necessarily. Yeah. So what we ended up doing, I think we can go ahead and tease this. Okay. We pivoted to something that I think we're going to be tackling over the offseason. And I've already done a few. I'm, we don't, I'm not going to reveal anything. But we've already done a few. So what we're going to be doing over the course of the offseason here, and maybe this is a multi-episode thing, I'm not really sure. But building all-time sort of all-star teams from each state. So I'm just going with five best players. Positionally, sometimes it doesn't always make total sense, but I can make it work. But So we're starting a process of going through each state, looking at players that we identify from that state and, and identifying sort of an all-time team, which I think is going to be a blast. Trajan Langdon coming off of a ball screen from Carlos Boozer. Kick out to Mario Chalmers oh, from no, Alaska. The problem. He's got to be. He's got to be kicking out to Brad Olison. Mm. Put him <laughs> on the other corner. That's right. Makes it real dangerous. This is an interesting one because I was talking about uh, as we're thinking about this. Like as I was thinking about this, like some players are hard to place, and um, no answer to this. But like, where do you put Carmelo Anthony? He's so associated with New York, mm-hmm. but he lived in Baltimore from the age of eight through high school, basically. So like. Th- those are hard. Yeah. So we'll have to figure some of that out. But I think it's fun to kind of think about rules. sort of a what if, and then maybe we'll build like a tournament out of this. Okay. It could be kind of fun. We got a lot of cover in the off season. You know, there's only so much spring practice that we can discuss. Oh, we could talk a lot of spring practice. Get the pads Ooh. out, start hitting like you used to. Okay. Sure. Oklahoma drills all day. Sure. Well. Despite the fact that the portal is insane, I am excited for the Final Four this weekend. Yeah, man. Even though everyone is going to talk about the low ratings. Everyone's going to... There are going to be more tweets about how low the ratings are than anything TV else. ratings are such a bad stat Nobody now cares anyway. About, who cares about the TV ratings? Honestly. Uh, it's, like, it's like every reporter becomes a Nielsen family for selectively when it comes to big games like who if it's a good game who cares man yeah i agree 